Ephesians chapter 4, and it is one verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Six words. That's what we're going to look at today. Y'all cool with that? All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray because this is God's word to us. Father, uh, we thank you that we can gather together in your presence here this morning, Lord, to hear your word. And as the book of Isaiah says in chapter 55, Lord, I pray that your word that goes out of my mouth this morning would accomplish the purpose for which you send it, that it would not be in vain, but it bear fruit, accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Pray for power from your spirit. Lord, we can do nothing apart from your Holy Spirit uh, here uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we are starting a new series uh, called Gospel Basics, and uh, Gospel Basics is going to be in conjunction with our Gospel Basics class, all right? So there we have it. The word gospel means good news, okay? That first word up there means good news, and the gospel refers to the message of the Bible. This was Jesus's message. His message was the gospel, so the entire book of the Bible is not a book of rules, or morality, or inspiration. It is a message about the good news of something or what God has done in the death of his son Jesus for sinners at the cross, his glorious resurrection from the dead, and the fact that Jesus is Lord right now, reigning and ruling over all of reality, the fact that he's going to make everything new again one day when he returns. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. The second word, basics, just means starting point or fundamentals. All right, so that's, that's what we're, uh, we are looking at. So the church of the Lord Jesus, from the very beginning, has always proclaimed Jesus as Lord as our foundation. We just sang that. That's our rock, our cornerstone. Jesus as Lord as foundational. Now, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. It's one, ber- one passage in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul, uh, I want to tell you, he wrote this letter to this church. It's a, the Ephesians is a letter to a church. Okay, that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul. I want to tell you how this church got started this morning. I'll tell you the story. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 19. Paul was traveling all around the Roman Empire. He was like the main leader in the early church, the Apostle Paul. And he came to this city in Turkey called Ephesus. You could go there and take a tour of the ruins today, but it was a thriving uh, metropolitan area. Paul was there for like two years teaching and preaching the Bible, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he established a church there. And uh, he was performing miracles and and many things. So uh, crowds began to grow, and there was these Jewish exorcists who tried to perform an exorcism in the name of Jesus, okay? But they weren't Christians. And when they went to do this, these demon-possessed men beat the brakes off of these guys. I mean, they just beat them into the ground, and uh, stripped them butt naked and kicked them out of the house. So these guys, these exorcists, were running all throughout the city butt naked. And it, and it got up on Twitter, and it got up on YouTube. There were shorts about it and everything. Word began to spread and went viral that these demons were saying they knew the Lord Jesus, but they didn't recognize these guys. So that began to spread all around, and people began to fear And the name of Jesus began to be revered. 
So all kinds of people in the city uh, got together and they started confessing their empty spirituality and their religion and their magic. And they brought all their magic books and stuff with incantations and all this into the city and they burned them all. So the way this church got started was a good old-fashioned book burning, right? I don't recommend that, but that's just what happened, right? And the estimated value of their spiritual trinkets and whatnot, what would be today's currency would have been $6 million, right? So $6 million burn up in flames. So you can imagine the people that were making money off of this stuff, they were upset. So they all got together, got into the amphitheater, and started a riot. And I have a picture of the amphitheater here. Yeah. That's a massive place. So you can imagine the whole city, thousands and thousands of people up in this amphitheater wanting to kill the Christians, wanting to kill the Apostle Paul because he was proclaiming Jesus as Lord and people's lives were being uh, changed. All right? That's how this church got started. And it was into that situation that Paul wrote this letter uh, to this church. Uh, and this is a radical message, message of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord. And even in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, I, prisoner of the Lord. So when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was locked up for telling people about Jesus. So this message is a radical message because basic to Christianity is the confession of Jesus as Lord. Let's look at it again in verse 5. Look at it again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. One Lord. This is, this is the message of Christianity. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. So today we're going to focus on uh, that phrase, one Lord. We're going to camp out on that. Right? And you know, saying that we serve one Lord is just as radical today as it was then. It's just as radical. Because we live in a culture with many Lords. Many gods. Lords, lowercase l. Not the, not the capital L, Jesus. So the first thing we're going to talk about is how there are many lords. There are many lords uh, in, in our culture, in our society. And here's the deal. You've got to serve one. You have to serve one. You don't have any choice uh, in the matter. There was a, uh, a novelist, a professor, a guy named uh, David Foster Wallace, tragically committed suicide. Uh, but he had a famous uh, graduation speech that he gave at a, a college called This is Water. And he starts out by telling the story of these two young fish. They're swimming along, and all of a sudden this older fish comes by and says, Morning, boys, how's the water? And they kept swimming. They thought, what in the world is water? Right? And his whole point was a lot of times we just go throughout our days, we go throughout our, we swim through life, we don't realize the water around us, the most obvious things of what we're swimming in. And what we are swimming in as a society and as a culture is many lords and many gods. And he goes on to say in that speech, I have it here, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. That includes you. The only choice we get is what to worship, right? And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some type of God or spiritual type thing, if you worship money and things, if they are what you 
cat real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and they will end up, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. See, he wasn't a Christian. He ultimately didn't have any hope. That's why he committed suicide. But he understood something a lot of Christians don't. There are a lot of lords and a lot of gods out there to worship. See, but Christians confess the one Lord, the one Lord Jesus Christ. This was Jesus' message. Jesus' message that he was Lord. This is the teaching of the entire scriptures. There's one Lord, one God, one true and living God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So to serve or to submit to, to be enslaved to any other Lord is what the Bible calls idolatry. This is like the first, ten, the first of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Something like that, right? That's the first one. That's the big one. You break that one, you done broke them all, right? Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, was a, he was a prophet in ancient Israel. And uh, this is a story. You can read it. He's a whole book in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. And this is what he says in uh, chapter 14 of the book of Ezekiel. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and they sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what God said to him. Son of man. Now that was the Lord's title for Ezekiel the prophet. Son of man. These men, the elders of Israel, have set up idols in their hearts. See that? They set up idols in their hearts. They have other lords and they have put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves should I actually let them inquire of me? And here's the deal. You might not have a statue or some idol or trinket or magic book that you worship and serve and that you listen to, but all of us, all of us do what these elders of Israel do. We, we have idols of the heart. We have idols of the heart, right? And they can be many things. Uh, John Calvin, he was a, he was a Swiss pastor during the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. This is what he said in his famous book, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. He said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Human heart is a perpetual idol factory that we, we manufacture these things from within. Um, when I was in school, uh, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I had two jobs while I was in school, and one of them was working at some batting cages, right? It was totally random. I had this job working these batting cages. And you know what happens when you get in the batting cage, right? You get up there, put your money in or whatever. It's been a long time since I've been in the batting cage. You get, your Don, you get your Don Mattingly stance. That's who you bat like, Don Mattingly, rest that bat. And then the balls keep coming, right? They just don't stop. The balls keep coming until uh, your, your turn is up. But our hearts are like that. Our hearts don't stop pitching out lords and gods. And they could be anything. It could be a relationship, what people think about you, 401K, drugs, Politics, it could be anything, right? And this is the reason our world is in such a mess. Because we turn away from the one true and living God and we go after things that aren't really Lord's and everything falls apart at that point, right? Because he's our creator and he's our, he's our savior. This is why our culture is in such a chaos, right? David Pallison, he was a 
biblical counselor. He developed a, what he called x-ray questions. They're a list, of, a list of questions to kind of help you see underneath the surface of what you really serve or who, you're, who or what your Lord really is. And I'm going to mention a couple of them. Is that okay? Okay, got a couple nods going for it. All right, I want you to think about these. These are, these are the x-ray to look at your heart, see what is it that you serve as Lord. What are you really working to get? What are you really working to get? Maybe that's your, your Lord. Where, what's your go-to for comfort and safety? Feel relaxed? Feel at peace? Is it food? Is it other people? Is it work? Solitude? Do you get depressed when you are wrong or when you fail? Maybe it's because your Lord or yourself as Lord has failed. Have you pinned your hopes on another person? What is it that you can't live without? That's, that's a penetrating question. What is it that if you lost, that you know that you would just crumble? Whose political power would make everything better for you? Yikes. Now, a lot of people have said that politics has re replaced uh, religion uh, or Christianity as, as a God in our culture. When you are driving alone in your car, what captures your mind? When you're just being bored, hanging out, just whatever. Or what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? You see, anything can be Lord, and there are many Lords. But the question is, who or what is your Lord? What is it that you are serving today? Who is your master today? What is it that you're enslaved to, that you wish you could stop doing, but you just can't stop doing, that constantly producing guilt and shame uh, in your life. You know, for a lot of people, it's just themselves. A lot of people, uh, self is Lord, self is God, and we're on the throne of our lives. We're in the driver's seat, and the true and living God, he's way back there in the, in the eighth seat, and in the, in, the, uh, in the suburban or whatever. And, uh, you know, Christians are not spiritually vaccinated from serving other lords, you know? And this, is, this might be one of the most helpful things that you can learn as a Christian is that you are susceptible to this as well. This is what the, the way the Bible talks about sin, serving other gods and other lords. I'll show you this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, and that's a term of endearment for Christians. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Now, we can ask the question, why would... The Bible tell Christians to guard themselves from idols if it wasn't even possible. See that? And the most basic way to guard against serving another Lord is confessing the one Lord, right? Confessing the one Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to focus on this. We confess one Lord, and his name is Jesus. Confess one Lord. Look at this passage again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We confess one Lord. And I don't know that sounds crazy. Lord. Right? That, sound, that, sounds, uh, that sounds crazy. But the question is, what type of Lord is he? What type of Lord uh, is Jesus? I was listening to a comedian recently. He was talking about how him and his uh, daughter uh, got lightsabers. 
And they were out in the yard having a lightsaber duel and everything. And she said, Daddy, I want to go for a, I want to go for a walk. So he said, okay, sweetie, uh, I'm going to go inside, and I'm going to get my keys, and I'm going to come back out, and we'll go, go for a walk. And I need you to stay right here. Stay on the porch. So went inside, got his keys, came back out. Guess what? She wasn't on the porch. She was out in the yard with her little lightsaber, and she was trying to swat bugs. So he went up to her, and he approached her and said, hey, sweetie, uh, I need you to go back inside because you didn't listen to your daddy, and we're not going on a walk. She said, no. So he got a little bit closer, and he was like, you know, well, you need to go inside because you, you disobeyed your daddy. And she said, no, right? And he said, and she was still holding her lightsaber. So she took her lightsaber and took like a legit swing uh, at, at her dad and tried to take her dad out, right? But her dad said, but I too was still holding my lightsaber, right? So... <laughs> He smacked the lightsaber out of, her, out of her hand. He said, listen, you know, he said, I've been a nerd for a long time. I was about, about ready to lose a lightsaber duel to a six-year-old, right? Smacked it out of her hand. He said, all right, now go inside because I'm your father. Some of you nerds got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you nerds got that. Uh, my point here is that Jesus is not Darth Vader, right? Jesus is not an evil villain. He is not out to get you. He is not out to make your life miserable. He's not out to punish you. He is not out to destroy you. He's not out to make your life boring. He's a good Lord, right? And he's out to give you life as it was truly meant to be. I want to read to you the most, one of the most beautiful passages about Jesus in all the Bible. And it's several verses. I need you to be patient, right? Hold on. Colossians chapter 1. Look at Colossians chapter 1. All right, here it is. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So here's what that means. It means that you don't have to wonder who God is or what he's like or what he wants of you because God came down in the person of Jesus and has clearly shown himself to the entire world. And he is Lord over all. That's what firstborn means. It doesn't mean that he was created or anything like that. It means that he's the boss. Verse 16, for everything was created by him, Jesus, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This means that Jesus is the creator Lord. It means that he's the manufacturer of life. It means he knows who you are. He knows who your true identity is, what he created to be. He knows about your body and your sexuality gender. He created all that stuff. He manufactured you. He wrote the manual on you. He knows how to troubleshoot your life and tell you exactly what's wrong and exactly how to fix it. Verse 17, he is before all things. By him, all things hold together. Here's what this means. Jesus has always been there. There's never, there was never a time that he was not, that he is eternal God. And Jesus is the one who sustains all of reality. That means when it rained yesterday, Jesus did that. Of course, he did it through nature. He did that. He's intimately involved in it. He is the one who is sustaining your pulse right now and your breath and your sanity, your body. Verse 18, 
he is also the head of the body, the church. You see that? Jesus is the head, the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. So Jesus is the resurrected Lord over all of the universe, and he's the champ. He's the champion. He is Lord and master over everything, and he is Lord over the church. That means the church exists because of Jesus. Jesus is the head. He is the control center. He gives us life and direction. Whatever direction he goes, direction his, his body goes. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. That is God had all of who he is dwell in Jesus. This means Jesus is God. And through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself, whether things in heaven, on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the deal. Jesus is God, and only Jesus can save you from your sin. Only Jesus can save you from the other lords and the other gods that your heart goes after or your heart manufactures, or that cause you to be enslaved to. And he can save you from those things because he shed his own blood for you at the cross. That Jesus took the place for you at the cross. He died for you and bled for you and sacrificed himself for you to, says this passage says, to reconcile you to God. Here's what that means. That means there's nothing between you and God anymore because of Jesus. If you believe in him, he makes peace with uh, us and God. So, this is the one Lord that we confess as Christians, as a church. Let me ask you a question. Do you confess him? Do you confess him here this morning? Have you come to the place where you've bowed your knee to this king? Where you've given your heart and your life over to him? Right? Where you, you have dethroned yourself from your life and you, you've come and you've just tapped out. There's another place in the Bible, and here's the deal. Even if you don't confess Jesus as Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything about him as Lord. He is Lord, and it doesn't matter whether we acknowledge it or not. There's another passage in the Bible that says, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is, uh, all people, right? If you don't confess him as Lord, Today is a great day to do that, to start, start today. But if you do, if you're here and you do confess Jesus as Lord, it, this means that you belong to his body. If you confess Jesus as Lord, it means that you belong to his body, the church. Right? Just as my old kneecap right here belongs to my body, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you also, you might be a kneecap. Right? You belong to Jesus' body, which is uh, the church. My wife's niece, niece has been working for the uh, McDonald's uh, corporate office uh, in Chicago. And uh, the McDonald's Corporation is a multinational fast food chain. I know you guys all know that. But does anyone in here care about the McDonald's Corporation? No. No one cares about that. What you care about is when you go through the drive-thru, whether your fries are hot and crispy or not. Right? That's what you care about. You don't care about... The, the, corporate, uh, the corporate office or anything like that, you care about when you go through that local McDonald's down here on 522 and your Diet Coke tastes better than any Diet Coke you've ever had in your whole life, right? 
That's what you care about. And the body of Christ is like that. The body of Christ is like a chain. All the local churches share the same brand. So all the churches out here that confess the one Lord Jesus, we all share the same brand, which is Jesus. So I want you to focus for a second. If you're tracking with me, if you confess the one Lord Jesus means that you are part of his body, and the only way that you can know what his body is is in and through the local branches, then the logical thing is to join a church. That just makes complete sense, completely logical. If we confess the one Lord Jesus, which means that we belong to his body, and the only way to know what in the world that is is to be a part of a local church, then the obvious thing is, is to join yourself to a local church. And this is what's called church membership. I'll unpack it further. Membership means calling a specific church home and taking responsibility for the health and the growth of those in your church family. What could be wrong with that? These are my people, my church home, doggone it. I'm going to take responsibility not only for my spiritual life, but for the spiritual health and the growth of the others uh, in my church, right? That's just basic. That's gospel basics right there. Uh, now, you may be thinking, uh, is there any evidence for that in the Bible? Where do we see that uh, in the scriptures? Well, there's a ton of evidence. If you'd like some more, sign up afterwards at the Connect table. We'll get all that information to you. But I'm going to give you three pieces of evidence for church membership. You guys ready for that? Everybody still with me? All right. Number one is the example of the early church. In the early church, uh, believing the gospel, believing in Jesus, confessing him as Lord, meant coming and being a part of uh, a church. I mean, literally right out the gates. So when the early church started, Acts chapter 2, you can read about it, the apostle Peter stood up and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel. And look what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized, and that day, 3,000 people were added to them. You see that? This is the biblical pattern for the Christian life. It is acceptance of the gospel message, which is the same thing as confessing Jesus as Lord. Baptism, right, which means you publicly are confessing, hey, I believe Jesus is Lord, and then addition. You see that? They accepted it. The message, they were baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to them. Now, that last phrase makes no sense apart from an identifiable group of people, which is a local church. Notice they counted the people. See that? There were 3,000 of them. As a matter of fact, there were 120 before that. So there was 3,000 who accepted, who were baptized. There was 120 who already were the church. And these 3,000 were somehow added to them, and everybody knew what was going on. Right? And this is the pattern that you see throughout the book of the Acts, a book of Acts as you go through. Um, number two is the metaphors for the church. Right? In the scriptures, uh, the church is called a body, uh, a temple, uh, a family, a bride, uh, all these different things. And I want to show you one. Ro Romans chapter 12, verse 5. In the same way, we who are many uh, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See that? Many people come together as one body and individually 
the individual mem become members of one another. See that? Now, when the parts of your body are functioning, that's a blessing. Right? When your body's working properly and, and all the little parts come together as one, man, that, 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 that you feel great. You feel good about life and everything. Now, 17 years ago, my pancreas decided, well, my body attacked my pancreas is actually what happened, and uh, stopped working. So now I have type 1 diabetes. And you know what? That's not fun. That is no fun at all. It means my body is not as healthy as it could be if that member of my body was really functioning as a, as a member of it, right? And it's the same thing with the church. Right? As a Christian, if you're not joined to a local church in a significant way, then you're a body part that's not as healthy as it could be. And you know what? The body is not as healthy without you as it could be with you. The, uh, the church is described as um, a family. And listen, if we were to go around this room, we would be easy to identify the individual families in here. Well, how is that? Well, we know these are the members that belong to the love family. This is my family over here. These three lovely ladies, right? It's easy to identify. We're an individual family group, but we're made up of, uh, of individual uh, members, right? And the Bible goes on and on uh, in this way. I want you to think about this. There are over 50 commands in the New Testament given to us by the Holy Spirit uh, that talk about um, loving and caring for one another in all kinds of different ways. So over 50 times the Bible says, hey, pray for one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, confess your sins to one another, right? So it, it says it in all kinds of ways. So... Um, these commands assume that Jesus' followers will be members in a local church uh, since they involve caring for one another in close-knit community like a family. In other words, these things don't make sense apart from uh, a local church that has identifiable uh, membership uh, in it. Number three is pastors in the church. Number three, pastors in the church. Church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires pastors to care for their flock. So uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. You guys still hanging in there? Okay. All right, one person back there, cool. All right, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, it says, be on guard. The Apostle Paul is talking here to, to a group of people, be a pastor's group. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. All right, so... This is instruction for pastors here, right? The, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the flock, shepherd the church, right? That's a pastoral duty. Now, don't you think that if this is what God is calling pastors to do, they need to know who in the world they're doing that for? Think about it. Um, I want you to imagine for a second. We're going to use our imaginations here this morning. Imagine that uh, you went to work on a chicken farm this morning, right? Hundreds of chicken houses. Now, I know you may be thinking, Ricky, I don't want to work on a chicken farm this morning. Well, you are. Sorry. Are you on a chicken farm? There's hundreds of chicken houses, right? And uh, it's a job way too big for one person. You're riding with the boss in the truck out to the chicken houses, and he drops you off and says, all right, I want you to take care of all these chickens. What would you think? You would think, what chickens are you talking about here? I'm not going to be able to take care of all these chickens. I need to know which houses I am responsible for because 
I am going to fail at taking care of all these chickens. All right, it's the same thing when it comes to pastors. All right, Jesus is a good boss, and he wants us to know as pastors who we are responsible for because you can't be responsible for everybody, and we need to know exactly who we are responsible for. All right, so I had a friend of mine, uh, Dave Pinckney, uh, who preached here last Sunday. He is from Concord, New Hampshire. Right? Now listen, here's the deal. I don't think I'm responsible for his flock, for that church. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody who belongs to his church. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was talking to a specific group of pastors. When he said that right there, he was talking to the pastors of the church of Ephesus, and they knew what he was talking about. They knew who they were, who they were responsible for, but they had a way of knowing that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is a great passage to think about when it comes to uh, church membership. Obey, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to you as a Christian. Obey your leaders, that is your pastors, and submit to them. Right? Here's why. Since they are keeping watch over your souls. Right? That's a pastoral duty, to watch over the souls of, of the church as those who will give an account. The pastors are going to give an account so that they can do this with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable uh, for you. The pastors need to know who they are going to give an account for before God. Right? And that's a weighty responsibility. For me as a pastor to, to say, okay, I accept the job, Jesus means, okay, Jesus is saying, you're going you're gonna to stand before me for the people that you're responsible for. Now, don't you think it's kind of important that pastors know who those people are? Have some way of knowing? Who, who in the world am I responsible for uh, here? But not only pastors, you're, you're responsible as well. You see what this passage says? Your responsibility here is to obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, who is that? If you say, you say, well, Ricky, you're not my leader. Well, you better go out and find you one. Yeah, this pastor says you better go find you a leader and obey them and submit to them. If it ain't me, if you're a Christian, you've got to find some way of obeying the Lord Jesus. Are you supposed to obey Pope Francis? If you want to be a Catholic, go ahead. But listen, he got no authority up in here, and he's not a leader here. So this passage only makes sense if biblical church membership is a reality because you need to know who your leaders are and the leaders need to know who they are responsible and accountable to God for. Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he's doing that, right? He's doing that when the local church, that is us, when we confess him as Lord, and we confess him as Lord by believing and doing all that he says to do in the Bible. Membership being one of those. If membership is biblical, as I just outlined, what would keep you from it? What would keep you from that? Um, C.S. Lewis helps us think about why we struggle and why we resist and why we stumble and why we, we struggle with these things. His book, Mere Christianity, he says, all right, imagine yourself as a house. See that? Right, you're a house. Your life is a house. And you invite God to come in. God comes in to rebuild your house. That is your life. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. Man, this is great, God. This is awesome. I love what you're doing here. 
But, all right, C.S. Lewis is British, so hold on. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The only explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. See, Jesus' words, they hurt and they offend us because a lot of times we just want to be our own lords. I remember when I became a Christian, that was like scary because you know what that meant? I'm not Lord anymore. Right, Ricky is not the boss anymore. I got to submit to Jesus as king. That's scary to come down off of your throne. But it's good. It is good because you weren't made to be on that throne. See, here's the deal. Jesus is working on us as a church, building something new out of us. That's a beautiful thing. All right, and this is what the church is. The church is what Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I am building what I want out of you guys. And that is the best thing for us. Think about how things like Amazon shape and mold us as people. And a lot of times, this is happening in ways that we don't even know. We have all kinds of things like this in our lives. Well, Amazon, you get on Amazon, you're in control. You can buy anything that you want. One click, it's just coming. You, got all, you can just be consuming all kinds of stuff. Your digital media, you can go up there, you can, you, can, you can spend the rest of your life on Amazon Prime, baby, watching all the stuff up there. Right? I'm not saying all this is necessarily bad. A, Amazon can be a great blessing. Right? You got all your music up there and everything, and it puts you in the driver's seat, and it's all about you, about what you want and you know, all, all stuff like that. We are a very consumeristic culture. We're constantly just consuming material things, consuming food, right? Consuming people and media and entertainment, right? And this is what makes being a part of a church um, hurt a little bit because it challenges those uh, ways of life and those practices and those, those rhythms uh, that we have because being a part of a church is not about our consumption. It's not about, when you come a part of a church, it's not about, okay, all right, this church is about me. It's about what I want, programs that I want, leaders I want, music I want, the art that I want, style that I want, the people that I want to hang out with, what I want to do, my way or the highway. No. Being a part of a church is about our confession. It's not about our consumption. It's about our confession of Jesus as Lord. And it's about the one Lord. See, we confess the one Lord Jesus. So when you confess the one Lord Jesus, here's what that means. Being a part of a church means being about these people. It means that these people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are my family. We are one body, members of one another. We are a temple, not this building, but the people a temple in which God dwells by his spirit, and we're all individual cinder blocks that he's building into this beautiful place for him to dwell. And it is about the mission that he's given to the church. See, Jesus has given his church a mission to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ has died for sins at the cross, that Jesus Christ was buried, that Jesus Christ bust up out of that tomb three days later. Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is reigning over all things 
right now. And he is returning one day to make this entire world new again. Hallelujah. All right, this is what we confess. And that makes membership absolutely beautiful. It makes me think about John chapter 6. I'm, I'm going to end with this. John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching and preaching, and he's saying some hard things. He's saying some tough things, and people are walking away from him. They're walking away from Jesus in the droves. He turns to his disciples and says, you want to go too? Here's what Peter's confession. John chapter 6, 68, 69. Lord, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One, God. Right? Moms, mothers, where else are you going to go? Where's she going to go today? Here's the good news for you mothers today, that Jesus Christ has words of eternal life for you. What a beautiful thing. Right? And for us as a church, where else are we going to go? All the words, all the words that you heard from here this morning and everything I'm saying from the Bible, you know what those words are? Words of life. Words where life can actually be found in your life. Look at this confession. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One God. All right, can you say that here today? Can you, can you make that confession here today? I, I've come to understand somehow, some way, yeah, Jesus, you're the one. You're that man. You're the Holy One of God. See, Jesus is the good Lord who bled for us, rose for us, and he tells us only things that are truly good for us, right? We confess Jesus as Lord. That's what we want to do now.